Turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 8. We are now back in our uh, series in the Gospel of John. Um, John chapter 8. Now perhaps you have noticed the sermon text is verse 12 to the end of the chapter. I'm not going to ask you to stand. In fact, I'm not even going to read the whole passage, but I'm definitely not going to ask you to stand for uh, all of that. Uh, We actually will read um, several sort of sections out of uh, the remainder of of John chapter 8. So uh, I'll kind of guide you uh, as we go through our reading. But first, uh, before we uh, read his word together, Uh, Would you pray with me? Uh, We pray, our great Heavenly Father, uh, as You have uh, spoken to us in Your Word, You've um, made Yourself known to us. You've made known to us Your will for our salvation. Um, And You have given Your Word for our, well, for our freedom, uh, for our deliverance. Uh, and for our growth in grace. Would you be at work um, as we come to this, your word? Uh, Open our ears to hear. uh, Give us eyes to see. Give us minds to understand. Hearts to embrace. Hands and feet to live out. uh, That which you have given to us here in this, your word. And we ask all of this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, If you would, uh, we'll begin in verse 12. We'll just read verse 12 and then uh, I'll kind of guide you as you go. But would you give your attention uh, to the reading of God's holy uh, and infallible word? John 8, beginning in verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And then verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin where I'm going. You cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going? You can't come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then verses 31 to 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words, my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you Do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing works. Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth 
that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to him, to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I come, I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You were of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, In many ways, our passage this morning could uh, be uh, sort of any conversation you might have with people at work, with people at school. No, I'm not suggesting that you are Jesus or that you're like Jesus or that Jesus sort of represents you. Simply that the objections, the complaints, the responses, what Jesus hears from the Jewish people around him in first century Palestine is really no different from what you might hear around the water cooler at Boeing or at Athens High School or down on the square on any given afternoon. It's really no different, quite honestly, from even our own hearts apart from God's intervening grace. Now, let me just sort of recognize the fact Uh, that this is a long passage and we cannot and will not possibly attempt to unpack every little bit here and there. Uh, the, the, The reason I'm keeping it together is because it is one long conversation. And so it, it needs to stay. We could split it up. We could deal with portions, sections. But because it's one long conversation in one place, it's always helpful when you read the Gospels to... To pay attention to transitions. Is there time lapse? Is there a location change where people in one place here and then suddenly in the next verse they're in a different place? That's usually kind of marks out the changes in the flow of uh, the gospel writer's thought. But I think since it's been a few weeks since we were in John's gospel, since we took January off, it makes sense to reset, sort of remind you of the context, the setting where we find ourselves suddenly right here in the middle of John 8. Perhaps you noticed, perhaps you're paying attention. I skipped. I, I don't mean I skipped around when I read. I mean, I left out. We're skipping over John 7.53 to 8.11. Uh, that requires a little bit of explanation um, and and maybe a little bit more during prayer and praise. But let me at least give you this. Perhaps you can see 
Uh, in the ESV, there are these double brackets around the passage. And there's a footnote, and it tells us that that passage, the, the woman caught in adultery, actually isn't in our oldest and most reliable manuscripts. And so many English Bibles, and for that matter, Greek uh, New Testaments, have it set apart in brackets with a footnote, calling attention to the fact that this is something that's been added later. The reality is, if you read from through to the end of, of John 7.52 and then skipped and picked up again in 8.12 and started reading, you would notice that stays together very nicely. There's no time lapse. There's no location change. And so we are in and the, the second part of, of John 8, still in the temple court, still at the time of uh, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so um, this, the, passage, the, the passage about the woman caught in adultery is added later. Uh, here's the thing, though. It appears, by all accounts, to be a true event. It's not a made-up event that somebody then added in. It appears to be a true event. It just doesn't appear in here in John's Gospel. In fact, it doesn't appear in any Greek manuscript before, I think it's the 4th century. And when it does appear, it doesn't always appear in the same place. It doesn't always appear in the same Gospel. Sometimes it's in Luke. And so, since my job is to preach the Bible, then I'm going to make sure we preach the Bible. So, this... Even if the passage is true and as beloved as the passage is and as accurate to the character of Jesus as it is, if it doesn't belong here, I'm going to keep going as though it weren't here. Um, but we're still in the Feast of Tabernacles. We're still in the Feast of Booths. And, and by now, we're at the end or near the end and... Uh, Jesus has used, he does this um, a number of times. We've seen it so many times in John's gospel already, just in the first several chapters where Jesus takes something around him and then draws a, a connection from that thing, that event, whether it's the temple, whether it's something else, to himself. He did it in John seven thirty seven when this water event in the Feast of Tabernacles, he says, hey, I'm the fountain of life. I'm the fountain of living water. Drink from me and you will never thirst. Well, the same is going on here. There's these four giant lights in the temple. They're big giant basins full of oil. It's actually four sort of gold, bronze, whatever it is, with four bowls in each one. So 16 of these bowls of oil that... You would light throughout the, the week, the Feast of Tabernacles, this celebration of God's care for His people as they wandered from Egypt to the Promised Land. During that 40 years of, of living in a tent, the people spend the week living in these makeshift wooden huts, sort of recounting, uh, celebrating together that deliverance from bondage in Egypt. 
these lights also served to remind those same people that while they were dealing with those wanderings, while they were traveling those 40 years from Egypt to the promised land, God also led them by a pillar of fire. He gave them warmth and light by which they could travel, by which they could see. And so Jesus takes that opportunity with those lamps that may very well have gone out by now to say, that light is me. I am the light of the world. I am the one who gives light in the darkness. That's the context. That's the setting. Uh, that's sort of a, a reminder just to reset your mind, reframe yourself uh, where we are in John's gospel. When you get sick, you, you want a doctor who actually is good. Uh, when you get sick, you want a doctor who actually will um, do whatever tests necessary, ask whatever questions necessary to find out exactly what your symptoms are, to find out exactly what you're dealing with. And you want him to shoot straight with you. You want him to tell you what's going on, whether it's, you know, you, you, you just have a cold. You just have the sniffles. Or you've got a broken bone. Or you've got strep throat. Or you've got cancer. You want him to shoot straight with you because you want to know. You want him to prescribe for you the appropriate remedy. The appropriate solution. And, and that's in essence the conversation going on between Jesus and the Jews around him in the temple court in this passage. He points out their symptoms, their problems, the, the things going on with them. And the truth is, it's not different for them than it is for us. We deal with the same things. We have the same problems. We face the same issues in our world today. And the first is in verse 12 to 20. Uh, the first problem is the darkness of the world around them. Uh, the Jews surrounding Jesus, the Jews sitting there uh, interacting with Jesus, the, the Jews opposing Jesus on that day walk in darkness. In fact, he, Jesus announced in verse 12, which we read a few minutes ago, he's the light of the world. And if you come to me, if you walk in me, if you live in me, you don't walk in darkness. The suggestion, of course, is that apart from me, you are in darkness. That that the crowd around them, and he goes on to say as much over and over again throughout the, the rest of John chapter 8, the crowd around him is affected by darkness. And it doesn't mean that there was no sun, right? It, it doesn't mean that they didn't have lamps. It's not the, the, the darkness of if we turn the lights off in the room or you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got to stumble through uh, some strange hotel room, some strange room to, to find your way to the bathroom or whatever and, and you don't know your way and you're feeling your way. It, it's not physical darkness, it's spiritual darkness. It's a darkness that blinds the eyes of their heart, quite honestly. It's the, a darkness that blinds them spiritually to be able to see and to discern who Jesus is. 
There were these lamps in the temple. Israel followed this pillar of light. And Jesus says, I am the true light. I am the light that breaks into the darkness to give you spiritual sight, to give you that visibility to see and perceive and understand. Our, our world today is exactly like that. We, it's in darkness. It lives in affected by its own fallen sinfulness and unable to see and perceive. But what's interesting is that we actually have something we study in history that we think of as the moment when we as people finally evolved far enough. I'm using that intentionally. I don't believe. Okay. That we've now been enlightened. We have the enlightenment. We have these smart people who have come along and science now opens up to us all of these things and we have human reason and look, see how much smarter we are today than we were then. The people before the 17th, 18th centuries, before people like Rene Descartes and, and Immanuel Kant and John Locke and others, before they came along and, and could really teach us the things we really needed to know. Now we have clarity. Now we're enlightened. Now we're smarter. And Jesus says, you, you still live in darkness. In fact, the problem is, even with all that science, even with all that enlightenment, we still, verse 15, we judge according to the flesh. We're, we're trapped by the limited eyesight of mere human existence. In fact, the the crowd can't recognize, right? So Jesus goes on in verses 17 to 19. We didn't, we didn't read this passage, but the law, uh, the Old Testament law requires two or more witnesses in order um, to convict somebody. And so when Jesus begins to announce who he is and, and to, to teach the crowd about himself, they say, hold on, you're one person. Your testimony isn't true. Jesus goes, actually, that's not correct. Because what I say as the son is testified to as well by the father, that's two witnesses. The crowd is unable to understand that. Why? Because they see Jesus as a mere man. They can't see beyond the, the physical. They can't see beyond, well, their hand right in front of their face. It's that dark. They can't perceive who Jesus is to recognize that He actually is the Son of God in the flesh and He comes from the Father. And when He speaks, He speaks what the Father has told Him to speak. That's, he's told us that already a couple of chapters ago. Apart from God's grace, apart from, from the intervening work of Christ and His Word and His Holy Spirit, we are limited in our sight, our visibility. We are limited by the darkness of the world around us. And, and part of Jesus' point is to say, look, don't admire the fancy people with lots of letters after their name." who went to fancy schools, 
who went to Ivy League schools. They, they have a degree from Princeton, or they have five degrees from Princeton. And we sort of think, well, those are the people I need to follow. Jesus says, look, if you walk in my light, you have more light than they do. You have clearer vision than they do. You see more clearly than they do. The natural man cannot comprehend the things of God. In fact, that's how John opened his gospel back in John 1. The light came into the world. The light came into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it, our English versions has. It really like comprehended it, didn't understand it. Couldn't overcome in the sense of wrap its brain around. Why not? Because they were being kept in the darkness. The darkened world needs light in order for her inhabitants to see. The world is shrouded in darkness apart from Christ and remains there apart from His grace. The first problem that Jesus exposes is the darkness of the world around us. The second in verses 21 to 38 is the sinfulness of human flesh, the sinfulness of, of man. You perhaps if you read enough, perhaps you're noticing a pattern. Uh, we're on the second of our great enemies, right? The world, the flesh and the devil. And so in verses 12 to 20, it's the darkness of the world. In verses 21 to 38, it's the sinfulness of the flesh. You can see this, and it's over and over again. Verse 24, for example, I told you you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. Verse 34, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus points to not just the darkness of their, their vision, but the sinfulness of their own hearts, the sinful condition in which they, well, fast bound in sin and nature's night. I know I made you sing that sitting down, but I wanted us to sing fast bound in sin and nature's night. Because, because what Wesley writes is exactly what Jesus describes here, that we are in bondage to our sinful condition. That we're slaves to sin. That those who practice sin are slaves to sin. And people in bondage need to be freed. And they can't free themselves. They're dependent on someone else to come and set them free. It's this sinful condition that stands um, objecting, opposed to Christ as He reveals Himself to be the light of the world. And verses 31 to 33, we need to be set free from that bondage. We're slaves to sin. I don't know... Um, I don't know entirely. I, I, I'm not real clear. I'm not real sure. Um, whether this is, whether verse 34, uh, no, verse 33 is a reflection of just how sinfully dark and clueless they were, or whether it has more to do with just sinfully opposed and unwilling to know the past. 
But did you notice their response? Jesus accuses them of being in bondage to, to sin, slaves to sin. And the response is, we are children of Abraham. We've never been slaves. Have you not read the Bible? Egypt? Assyria? Babylon? Or take the change out of your pocket. Whose face is on it? It's Roman. They've known nothing but bondage for much of their existence. And, and there are even others in between Babylon and Rome. There's several along the way. They are so enslaved to their sin, they can't see clearly. They can't see the truth of their own past. They can't see past their, their, um, the truth of the reality of their own existence. And in some ways, it's almost, it's almost comical. The way in verse 22, for example, they can't figure out where Jesus is going. Jesus, I'm, where I'm going, you can't come. So, I mean, if he's going to Starbucks, I can follow him, right? If he's going to go grab lunch at old Black Bear, let's, we can all just follow along behind. We know exactly where he must be getting ready to kill himself. Because otherwise, I, I can't for the life of me figure out where he would be going that we couldn't follow him. They have, they have no concept, no place for a spiritual realm, uh, another layer as it were. They're so enslaved to their own sin that they can only see the flesh. They can only see this life. They can't see the life to come. They're unable to fathom the possibility that Jesus is going to go back to his father's side. In part because they haven't yet fathomed that that's where he came from. Even in verse 27, we're told expressly, explicitly, they didn't understand. That's what sin does to us, right? Sin leaves us it, well, it leaves us in the dark. It leaves us unable to see. It leaves us unable to comprehend. It leaves us sort of limited, regardless of how smart you think you are or how smart you actually are. Your thinking, your life is so affected by your sinful condition, your sinfulness, that you're unwilling and unable to hear the truth. As you might expect, there's a third problem that Jesus exposes in verses 39 to 59. And it's a, it's a family problem. It's an ancestry problem. People living in darkness and in bondage to sin, uh, to their own sinful flesh, also belong to their father, the devil. And, and it's really funny, as, as we were reading um, it struck me again how our English versions switch from capital F Father to lowercase f Father. But if you're in Jesus' presence, you can't hear that. You simply hear Father, and then Father, 
And then father and and in their minds, they're still thinking of their privilege as Abraham's descendants. Their their pride, their comfort, their hope for eternal security is that they can trace their ancestry back to Abraham. That's their sense of salvation, right? Their sense of of security is found in their genealogy. And so as Jesus begins to talk to them about being of their father, they're like, well, Abraham doesn't fit the description you're giving. And then Jesus says, that's because I'm not talking about Abraham. If you really were from Abraham, you would respond as Abraham did. Do you remember... Ladies, you didn't get this far last semester. But in Genesis 15, 6, we have a verse that tells us Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If it's your thinking that Jesus was, I mean, that Abraham was saved because he was circumcised, circumcision comes 13 years later. He saved Genesis 15, 6 because he believed the promise of God. That's exactly what Jesus tells them. Look, if you were really of Abraham, if you really belong to Abraham, you would respond the way Abraham did. You would do the works that Abraham has done. You would react to the way Abraham has. In fact, verse 56, we should have read it perhaps. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. If they really wanted to bear the family resemblance, you know, those, those family traits, right? The, the nose, the eyes, there, there's, there's always something like you bump into somebody and go, I think I know your dad. Not because I know your name yet, because I can see it. In your face. I can see it in your the way you carry yourself. I can see it in the way you walk. I can, there's some sort of family trait that shows up out of the genes in our lives. And Jesus says, look, if you really wanted to bear the family resemblance, you would respond to me in faith. But you don't. Because you are of your father, the devil. He is a murderer. He is a liar. Right? Verses 44 and 45. If, if, the, if the devil murdered, if you, if you want to murder, the devil's a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning, verse 44, and does not stand in the truth. When he lies, it's only because it's coming right out of his character. He is a liar. What are these people trying to do? What is it these people want to do to Jesus? Well, earlier they told him, nobody wants to kill you, Jesus. And yet, verse 20, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury of the temple, it's a temple courtroom, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not come. The crowd... God's sovereign hand of providence intervenes. 
The crowd wants him arrested. The crowd wants him gone. Verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. The crowd wants him dead. The crowd wants Jesus gone. And so the reality is when these when these Jewish leaders lie, when they seek to murder Jesus, they're just carrying on an old family tradition. Living right out of their father's likeness. Jesus is speaking in the temple in first century Israel, but he could just as easily be following us around town. He could just as easily be at your place of work, at your school, uh, in whatever uh, restaurant in town you choose to go to. Exposing, uh, diagnosing the darkness of the world, our bondage to sin, and our family relationship to the devil himself. But he doesn't simply point out what's wrong. Right? Like I said, you you want a doctor to, to give you the news and to give it to you. Is it COVID or is it worse than that? Have I, have I just got the flu and I got to stay away from people for a few days? Or is it something bigger than that? Is it something worse? Is it something more dangerous than that? You want your doctor to prescribe a cure. You know, the evidence of the darkness of the world, the sinfulness of the flesh, the family ties to the devil. Some of the evidence is shown, is reveals itself in the fact that we don't want the cure. We don't want for that sickness to be exposed. And we certainly don't want anyone to come along and tell us how it can be fixed. I pointed out verse 20, their reaction was, let's arrest him. I pointed out verse 59, let's kill him. And you're thinking, what would, they, would you do that to your doctor? If your doctor said, look, you've, you've got cancer. Quick, stones. Let's get rid of him. Right? No, that's when you go, okay, now what? Give me more. But because of the, their darkness, because of their bondage to sin, because they are of their father, the devil, they cannot and will not hear the prescription that Jesus gives. Apart from his grace, we don't want an honest evaluation. Apart from his grace, we don't want to hear the truth from him. Unless God intervenes with his sovereign grace, they cannot and we cannot and will not believe. In fact, verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's a passive verb. That's someone who is dependent on someone else to set them free. That's not someone who, if you can free yourself, you will be free indeed. That's not what Jesus says. If the Son does that work in us and for us, we are surely free from those chains. Let me make three 
uh, fairly brief applications from this, fa- this passage. The first is sort of a corporate church grace covenant uh, application. Um, and it comes primarily from verses 31 and 32. We make it our aim here to teach God's word. Why? To preach God's word. Why? Because it's his word that sets us free. And it's in his word that we know the truth and we reveal ourselves to be his disciples. There should be a longing and a hunger for the truth of God's word. And so we make it our aim. We, we make a big deal about the fact that we're going to teach and preach the Bible every chance we can. Precisely because it's in his word that, and by his word that we know Christ. And it's by his word that we are set free. So Grace Covenant is committed to teaching and preaching God's word. A second, to those of you still walking in darkness, uh, still in bondage to sin and still of your father, the devil, this passage actually offers an invitation, right? It actually tells you that if you will come to Christ, if Christ sets you free, you have a good chance of being free. That's not what it says. If Christ sets you free, you just might make it. If Christ sets you free and you do some other things too, but what does it say? There's an invitation to come to Christ, to trust in Him, to look on Him in faith, and to be set free. And third, to those of you trusting in Christ, Do you ever find yourself drawn to some hope or confidence in the flesh? Do you find yourself every now and then going, I know. Okay, you wouldn't say these words, but you live these words. I know Jesus is great and all. But. Look at the things I do. Look at the things I think. Look at how long my quiet time was this morning. Look at how many quiet times I've had this week. Look at all many, uh, you know, all the people I've helped. Look at all the, the, look how much I give. Is there somebody I can tell how much I give? That'd be really helpful because I give a lot. And, and then they might really be impressed with me. And then I could find some merit in the fact that I give a lot. Do, do you find yourself every now and then sort of drawn to confidence in the flesh? To your merits in the law? Well, here's the thing. The law doesn't set you free. Jesus does. And if you are free, you are free. Not if you are free, you're mostly free. You're some free. You know, if you've been set free from bondage to sin, you are free indeed. Rejoice in Christ and His work on your behalf. Abide in His Word and in relationship with Him. Rejoice that He has called you out of darkness into His light. And go and live in the light of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have... Um, you have spoken to us in your word, that your word does set us free, that that your word is the truth and it does sanctify us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in it and through it to to 
give us more and more light in Christ, to, to root out sin, to free us more and more from having been freed from the penalty of sin, that we would actually get glimpses that we're being freed from the power of sin. And we pray, too, that you would draw us up to see the world to come in which we will be freed from the very presence of sin. May it be that your word is a light to our path, a, a lamp to our feet. Would you guide? Would you direct? Would you lead us and grow us in our love for Christ? And would you draw those who have never trusted in Christ to do that even now? To walk in the light, to come to the light, to be freed from bondage to sin, from the darkness of the world and given a new family tree in Christ. We ask all of this in his name and for his sake. Amen.